our eternal hope is closely connected to and creates our forward move in the gospel work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, a focus on eternal life produces the fruit of a beautiful Christ-like life here and now. To think about that today, we're going to look again at 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it. Uh, It's printed there for you in your bulletin as well. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Great God in heaven, you are our Father who loves us. You've given us many good gifts, chief among them your word and the deeds that are recorded in this your holy word. Lord, we couldn't know you if you didn't reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you have. We thank you that you have done so in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your gospel news of salvation. Lord, we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit who breathed these words through the Apostle Paul, we too would see and treasure Christ our Lord. Be with me, be with all those who hear. Lord, may those who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Summer is over. This is sad. 
I don't get summer in my life anymore, and yet still, when August rolls around, there is a pit in my stomach that something bad's about to happen. <laughs> it's time to go back to school. Kids, I'm curious, who has finished all their summer reading? Anybody not finished their summer reading? Well done. Listen, I, the last couple weeks of summer were always filled with doing the entire summer's worth of summer reading, and then you go to class... And you realize they talked about it for two minutes and you make the same mistake the next year. I also, I played football in high school and middle school and and practice would start. And they had given you this list of things to do to get in shape for football in the Texas summer. And I had done none of those things. And so I'm sitting there on August 5th thinking this is going to be painful. I did not spend my summers wisely because I did not spend my summers oftentimes thinking about the future reality that was to come. This is in many ways the definition of folly. Folly is living without a proper orientation to the future and wisdom is living with that orientation. Paul here in this text shows us that a good and beautiful life is downstream of a perspective of faith that recognizes eternal reality. That the good life realizes that this life is not all that there is. So that's what I want us to think about today, both how that perspective works and how it transforms and changes us by the power of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, here's the outline. Three points this morning. First, the true perspective. Second, the good pursuit. And third, the beautiful life. The true perspective, the good pursuit, and the beautiful life. First, we need to orient ourselves to this text, which is a little bit complicated, simply in that it seems like Paul's bouncing all over the place. He's talking about false teachers, he's talking about rich people, he's talking about Timothy, and he talks about rich people again. What I want us to see, though, as we start, is that there's actually a real structure to this text that's going to help us to understand it. At the highest level, you can see this between verses 2 to 10 and then 11 to 19. 2 to 10 is warning and critique, and then 11 to 19 gives us instructions for good living, first to Timothy and then to the rich. And across these halves, we have common sets of subjects. We have a false teacher, a bad teacher. And then people who handle money poorly and foolishly. And then we have instructions to Timothy, who was to be the good teacher. We have instructions to those who would handle money wisely. And so we have these four movements. And what I want us to see this morning first is that the thing that ties these together and that distinguishes the fool from the wise is a question of their eternal perspective whether or not they see the world in light of the world that is to come. Paul's instructions to Timothy and the rich are tied to this, and his critiques of the false teachers and money lovers criticize the absence of this perspective. So let's see how this works. First, let's look at verses 5 to 10 and the money lovers. And these guys are the easiest to see this. It's a starting point. These are folks, no one in this room is described by this, who desire to be rich. Who desire to be rich, but they are fools, Paul says, because they're grasping at something that will not last. Verse 7 echoes wisdom you have heard throughout the Bible. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
If you go to the Proverbs, this theme is there. If you go to the teachings of Jesus, this theme is there. We're building up treasures that we will not enjoy. Death will separate us from these things that we are storing up. But more than that, Paul is operating here with a clear understanding that this world is not all that there is. There is an out of the world to which we will all participate, but we can't bring our stuff. Do y'all see that? So you can't bring it out of this world. You're going to be there. Your stuff's not going to be there. And so if you spend your life building up stuff you can't bring with you, you're going to look like a fool down the road. He repeats this eternal theme then throughout the passage. He tells Timothy in verse 12 to take hold of eternal life. In verses 14 to 15, he talks about the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming, this thing that will happen at the proper time. He talks about God's eternal dominion. And then he refers to the wealthy in verse 17. How does he he describe him? The rich in this present age, recognizing that that wealth is temporary. It's not going with them, but they're going somewhere. And then finally, he calls those same rich to store up for the future so that they may hold, take hold of that which is truly life. It's the first thing I want us to see. The wise, the, the good life, recognizes eternal reality. That's Paul's understanding. And the fools don't. Now, that's easy to see in the money lover, but let's also see it in the false teacher in verses 2 to 5. It's a little harder to see, but... but Take a look, verse five, verse four, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And then verse five, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We don't know what the false teacher was teaching, but Paul tells us what his heart was like. We'll talk about the arrogance later on in the sermon, but notice that Paul portrays him as a fool. He understands nothing and he imagines That godliness, this thing that he is teaching to people, though wrongly, is a means of gain for himself. Most simply, he's trying to make money off the teaching of the gospel. This is happening around Paul as he is doing his own ministry and Timothy as well. But behind this is a deeper misunderstanding I want us to see. It's not just that the false teacher's were trying to make money off the teaching. They were doing that. But Paul sees they were completely misunderstanding the message that they were attempting to describe. Godliness for these false teachers was a means. We see that in the translation. Godliness was a means for something they were going to experience in this world. And so they taught, they they gathered a following, they collected offerings teaching about the things of God, although wrongly, so that they could live this temporal life in the way that they desired. Godliness was turned into a means. The doctrines that he was teaching, the religion that he he was encouraging, wasn't coordinated to eternal reality. It was coordinated to his own desires, to his own needs, to his own temporal reality. And Paul sees this as a fatal error So what separates the fool and the wise, then, is this eternal perspective. With respect to money and with respect to material things, and also with respect to the things of God. Instrumentalizing the gospel 
for temporal reasons. And we see this around us. We're tempted to do this. Okay, so what difference does that make? That's uh, first point. Paul's saying there's a difference. Okay, what difference does it make? And that takes us to the second point, the good pursuit. Paul here is teaching us that our timeline, our perspective, whether that be a temporal one that ends in death or an eternal one, is going to determine the things that we're pursuing in life. Notice the parallel call to Timothy and to the rich in verses 12 and 19. He's talking to Timothy. What does he say? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. And then talking to the rich, he says something very similar. Teach them to be good, be rich in good works, be generous, so that, storing up a treasure, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Timothy, take hold of eternal life and teach the rich to take hold of that which is truly life. Paul's describing the same phenomenon. He's given us some commentary on it. And he's saying, listen, your life, Timothy, and you need to teach your people, their life is to be spent taking hold of eternal life. We can understand this by its opposite, right? The money lovers and false teachers... What are they doing? Well, they're taking hold of temporal life. That's their goal. They're they're grabbing at the good life now as opposed to with eternal perspective. They're thinking in terms of 60, 70, 80 years. They're desiring good life, which we all do, but they're desiring it within this framework. Y'all see that? And Paul says, in contrast, we are to take hold of eternal life. Okay, what does that mean? What does it look like for us as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, to take hold of eternal life? So I think I have an analogy that's helpful. You let me know afterwards if this is helpful, okay? So summer is to the real world or to the school year as college is to the real world, all right? So some of y'all are college students. Some of y'all have been college students. And the world we live in college is lived either in reference to the real world that's coming, that's living out there, right? People have jobs, people need to make money, people need to provide food on their table, right? Or you live in light of the four years you're living here on campus, right? Those two options. And the way you live as a college student is profoundly affected by which life you're trying to take hold of. And this is usually an internal battle within college students. I remember this being an internal battle. Am I trying to take hold of my four-year life, make the most of it, enjoy it, or am I trying to take hold of real life, which is coming? Y'all see that? And, And which life we're trying to take hold of affects how you're going to live your college years. To the extent you are taking hold of real life, so to speak, you're going to be a bit more responsible. You're going to study, right? You might get a job and save money. You're going to get an internship that will help you get a job when you graduate. And if you're living for the four years now, you're going to make different decisions, right? That may not be so responsible. That's something like what Paul is telling us when he tells us to take hold of eternal life, even as we are living in the midst of these 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have on this earth. He's saying, live in light of 
and live unto and into the eternal life that you exist in, that is coming, that is real. This world has its timeline and its priorities. Eternal life has its other ones. Which life are you living? And and specifically, what are you trying to take hold of? There's this great contrast between this image of the rich, those who love money, which doesn't necessarily mean you're rich, taking hold of stuff, and Paul telling Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Live into your future. Verse 19 is a really helpful picture of this. Storing up treasure for themselves. This is talking about the, the rich. Storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. This idea of storing up a foundation is a really fascinating term that translators actually have a really hard time translating. And the reason they have a hard time with it is because of the meaning that's there. When we talk about storing up, we think about treasure, putting something in the bank. That's why the ESV puts the word treasure in there. Storing up involves waiting, looking forward to the future. I have money now. I'm not going to spend it. I'm going to put it away. But the actual object of storing up here is the foundation. We're storing up a foundation. And that doesn't compute because foundations are beginnings, right? If you lay a foundation, that's the start of a building project. You're not putting that away for later. You're actually getting after it. You're going. And and that tension, y'all can feel that, that tension is exactly what Paul's trying to tell us here. When we take hold of eternal life, we are both future people looking forward to something that is not yet, but we're also already people taking hold of eternal life now, living into the life and the timeline that we are on. Paul tells Timothy, he tells the rich, he tells you, he tells me, to take hold of eternal life. Start living eternally now. Like the college student who takes hold of real life while he lives in college, we are to take hold of eternal life even now. But there's an important distinction. There's an important reason why that analogy fails completely, and that's our third point. So let's keep going. The beautiful life. What does the life that takes hold of eternal life look like? All right. What does it look like when we orient ourselves to eternity? How does eternal perspective change our lives? Well, let's look at the fruit that we see Paul describe here. Verse 11, telling Timothy, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then verse 18, to the rich, do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. These are beautiful things. This is a good life. We could tell it someone, someone anywhere in this country, I want to live this life. They'd say, that's a, that's a wonderful way to live. If Christians were known for that, we'd probably be a bit more popular. Not that being popular is the point. Now, how does an eternal perspective produce that sort of life? That's what I really want us to zoom in on here. And we're going to sit here for a little bit, and then we're going to be done. How does does taking hold of eternal life relate to this beautiful life that Paul describes? Y'all tracking so far? Verse 17 is key. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, the, the foolish rich helped us understand the negative, and the positive rich helped us understand what Paul is saying here. The first half is just what we've been talking about. Have an eternal perspective, right? You're rich in this present age, but it's not forever. Riches are uncertain. That's, that's what we have been saying. But then he adds something. He adds, not putting our hope in the uncertainty of riches, but what? Putting our hope in God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. That's the key to this whole passage, guys. Because as we orient ourselves to the eternal frame, as we orient ourselves to eternal life, we don't find the dread of summer ending and school beginning. We don't find things coming up, right? The, the piper about to get paid. Instead, if we are in Jesus Christ, we find the generosity and love of God, the Father, who richly provides all things for us to enjoy. The college to the real world analogy, I think is helpful in this idea that we are living one place in light of one of two timelines. Hopefully that made some sense. But here's where it's completely flawed. The life lived in college, stereotypically, on the college timeline, is one where you have dining halls that give you your meals, right? You, you have scholarships or parents or help to, to take care of your life, right? You have lots of friends. You have lots of social events. It, sometimes it feels like a party. It's a lot of fun, right? And living into our real life oftentimes looks like a little less fun, right? It looks like going to the library more often. Uh, you... You UVA students who are here this morning probably have always been the responsible ones. That's why you're at UVA, right? But you like hanging out with the other ones, right? Because they're a lot more fun and you try to act like them sometimes. <laughs> Get a job, save money, make good grades so that we can live into that future world. A world of provision and freedom in college gives way to a world of scarcity and need. And living in light of that real world means a lot of sobriety and care and responsibility. Pleasure gives way to pain. Taking hold of eternal life, brothers and sisters, is 180 degrees the opposite. We live now in the real world, in a world of scarcity and need, where if you don't get up and go to work, you're going to starve, right? Or if you don't watch out for your own interests, someone else is going to watch out for theirs and take what you want. Responsibility, storing up, sobriety. This is what it looks like to be a wise, responsible human in this world. We can apply that to God too, or we think we do, right? Because we oftentimes do think of heaven, eternal life, as August coming. Got to get myself in order. Got to get my life straight so that when I get to God, I'm not going to get the hammer. But if you are in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, you are headed for 
an eternity of provision. You are headed for an eternity of love in the wealth of God which knows no end. The, godly, the God who now richly provides you with everything to enjoy has richly provided his son. Didn't spare his own son. And so the future that you have, brothers and sisters, the eternal life that you get to take hold of is the party. It's the joy. It's the abundance of the Father. We're not in August looking down the barrel of school starting. Friends, we're in May. That's where we live as Christians. We're in May looking at summer break. And the call of the gospel, the call of Paul here, is to take hold of your summer break life, which is the eternal blessing that you have in Jesus Christ. And what does that produce? What does that produce? Well, it produces generosity and freedom. It produces life and joy. Live in light of the hope that we have in God. It will make us generous people. That's what Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich folks. Everything you have is God's, and God's going to provide you everything you need. So be generous. You don't need to hold on to this. You can let it go. You, you, your whole life, brothers and sisters, wealth is just, uh, the economics professors will tell us this, it's just a, it's just a store of value, right? But, but all that you have, all that you give, right? It's give it away, whether it makes money or not. God richly provides for you and eternity is yours in the provision of the Father. Be free. Don't need to worry about storing up wealth. God provides all things. And it will also make us godly people. Timothy's called to righteousness, to godliness. These fruits of the Spirit that Paul calls him to. But if... God loves us the way the gospel says God loves us. If eternal life is living in the delight and provision of the Lord, then we read these commands and we don't see a summer reading list we have to catch up on, right, to get there. No, instead we see a guide to life, to love, to joy. Your creator gave you instructions to yourself. He loves you. Your security is sure. Your future is sure. Now live into that. Godliness is not a means of gain in the sense of earning money. It's also, for Christians, not your means of entry into the kingdom of God. The last thing I want to observe here is that it will also make us humble and joyful people. This one I, I highlight... Not because it's the main point of the text, but because it's the main thing I needed to hear this week. And I think in Charlottesville, Virginia, it's, it's something we need to highlight and hear as well. The false teacher is described as puffed up in conceit. And then Paul talks to the rich and tells them not, not to be haughty, not to be arrogant. Living now, taking hold now of the eternal life to which you are called will make us humble and joyful people in a way that does not come naturally to those of us uh, in this room, I think. And here's why. Um, the responsible college student, 
The one who's thinking about the life to come in the real world, right? The one who's doing their homework, doing the right things, making the right decisions. Uh, That was me. That was a lot of you. There's a temptation to start to feel a little bit superior, right? To think that we've got it together in our responsibility, that we've got it together as the rule followers. And there's something about that in me, and I suspect in some of y'all, that makes the joyful freedom of the gospel hard to actually embrace. You hear this, that we can take hold of eternal life, and you say, yeah, but I need to make some good decisions so that I can have my life in order and that God will be happy with me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The joy and freedom of the gospel is yours in Jesus Christ. There is nothing left for you to do. That ought to make us take ourselves considerably less seriously than we otherwise would. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a city that takes itself very seriously, is that we would shine with the joy and freedom of those who know their security is sure, who know their future is taken care of, who know that they are provided for. UVA is a school full of high achievers. Let's embrace the joy of another school. You can name the school. I won't name it, right? Let's be a party school as, as a people of God, right? Those who know that we are provided for, who live into the eternal celebration that Christ has secured for us. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Be joyful, be humble, be generous. Follow in the ways of God. Not to please him or earn something, but to live the life that he has called you to live in gratitude. I'll close with a word to my non-Christians friends in this room. If this is not, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, all this good news that I've just been talking about it's not yet yours, but can be very simply. If you do not know Jesus, heaven, the judgment seat, is August. It's school starting. You better start getting yourself in order. But if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in his merits and not your own, this eternal life is yours. The love of the Father is yours. Receive it. Amen. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that you have called us to eternal life. And we pray that you would help us to take hold of that life even now. That we would live in the freedom and joy of your provision for us. Most of all in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we cling tightly to our responsible selves trying to earn your favor, trying to do it all by our own strength. Lord, would you help us to revel in the eternal life that you have prepared for us and to live in gratitude for your provision and generosity that marks the Christian. Lord, bless us, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.